We're going to finish up chapter 4 today. That's where we're at. So go ahead and open your Bibles. Uh, fire up your device if you don't have one. Again, there's pew Bibles right there in front of you. They are pre-marked for you for that, so you don't have to search for them. Go ahead and open them up because we want you to be reading God's Word with us. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible of your own at home, please take that as our gift to you. We would love for you to have that. Uh, but we're going to be finishing out starting in, in verse 18 there. Uh, but as you're turning there, I'm going to throw a name out to you and see maybe if you've heard it, maybe you haven't. Uh, Bill Irwin is the name. Uh, no, this is not Steve Irwin, the, the guy that liked to wrestle with crocodiles but lost to a stingray down in uh, Australia. Bill Irwin, uh, he was a recovering alcoholic back in the 90s, uh, gave his life over to Christ, uh, and he decided he was going to hike the Appalachian Trail. Now, uh, that comes right here through New Hampshire. It actually starts down in Georgia. And it tra traverses through the Appalachian, the Smoky Mountains, all the way up along the seacoast through some beautiful terrain. Uh, and it ends in, and I'm going to probably pronounce it wrong, uh, Mount Katahdin, Katahdin in Maine, just right up the road from us. So it comes right through here. It's about 2,100 miles long. Uh, for those who will endure that, who will try to go through it, they're, they're, man, they're going to face some challenges. Everything from, from snow to rain to extreme heat to extreme cold. Uh, they'll have to cross freezing streams and rivers, uh, sleep on the hard, bare ground as they try to, to make this path from Georgia to Maine. Now, what makes Bill uh, so special about this was not that he was the first person to actually make this, uh, far from it, but he was the first one who was completely blind. He, he felt the conviction on God that God had led him through faith, from his alcoholism, and into to Christianity, into a new life. And he felt that God would lead him by faith through this endeavor, to, to hike this trail, to be the first blind man to do it. Uh, as a matter of fact, he memorizes his mantra, it was 2 Corinthians 5-7, that we walk by faith and not by sight. And so he took off uh, with no GPS, no compass, long before these phones were there. He couldn't have read a map, being blind. All he had was his... German shepherd to make this trip. And it took him eight months to make it. He estimated that he fell some 5,000 times, broke multiple ribs, suffered from hypothermia, encounters with bears and other wildlife, but he kept persevering forward, believing that God was going to guide him. He was walking by faith. He even encountered other hikers that told him, man, you need to give up. You're never going to make it. This is too hard you can't do this. But he kept going. He kept enduring. And as he approached that mountain there at the end in Maine, a group of people had gathered together, and they were singing, of all things, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound to save a wretch like me. You see, he made this journey by faith in God's grace, the grace God had shown him. And he believed that grace would continue on. You see, you can't have faith without grace. They go hand in hand. Without our faith, we couldn't receive God's grace. There's no way for us to receive it. And without his grace, our faith is meaningless. It gives us nothing on its own. We need God's grace. You see, there's power in our faith in God's grace, power in our faith in his promises. And that's what we're going to look at today. It's the power that, that's in the faith in God's promises. As Paul continues on this, this argument, as he concludes this chapter, 
we're going to see what this faith brings us. Because there's, there's, there's more to it than surface level of just believing. And so join me as we read these verses, and then we're going to break them down. So beginning in verse 18, Paul talking about Abraham here. He says, In hope against hope, he believed so that he might become a father of many nations. According to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he who, raised, uh, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. So, Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. We invite you in today. Fill this place with your presence. Draw us nearer to you as we see your will for us, as we rejoice in your promises. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Paul jumps right in there, right in the very beginning of verse 18. And he shows us with the first piece of this faith, what we gain out of it, and it's that faith brings us hope. Faith brings us hope. When we believe in something, we're having a hope in something. Well, faith in God brings us a greater hope. As a matter of fact, he says with, with Abraham that in hope against hope, he believed. Hope against hope. What does that mean when we say hope against hope? Well, what he's saying is, given whatever the circumstance is, the circumstance that Abraham was in, whatever you might be dealing with in life, when it seems completely illogical, but that's where your hope lies. That's where your faith stands. That's what faith does. It, it draws us to, to stand in what seems illogical. Well, that's what Paul, uh, Paul's talking about here with with Abraham, and actually we're going to do a little uh, history with this. We're going to jump back, going to be up on the, on the screen, but we're going to look back at where this hope, what he was hoping in, it was beyond hope. In Genesis 17, God has come to talk to, to Abram at the time. His name hadn't changed. And he's going to establish a covenant with him. And starting in verse 4, God says that, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. You will be the father of a multitude of nations, no longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. God has just given Abraham a divine promise. A promise of, of a, a vast family, a large number of, of descendants that are going to follow him. He changes his name, as a matter of fact, from Abram, which means exalted father, to Abraham, which means father of multitude. And we go, well, okay, well, that doesn't seem very illogical. What's so illogical? So, so he's been promised to have a lot of kids, been promised to have a lot of family. So what, what, what doesn't make sense about that? What is he hoping against hope in this? Well, he was hoping in this hope that seems illogical because the mechanics just weren't going to work. From a mechanical perspective, something wasn't right. Something wasn't right. You see, Abraham, it says that, Paul says in verse 19, uh, 
that his body, Abraham contemplated his own body now as good as dead. Now, this isn't a physical death. Abraham had no reason to believe that his life was almost over. He was only 99 years old. And for us, we might laugh. That seems only 99. But this was before sin's corruption had got to the point of what it is today. Lives were a lot longer. Abraham lived to be 175 years old. His father, Terah, lived to be 205. And if we go back to his seventh great-grandfather, which seems a long way back, but that was Shem, Noah's son. Shem lived 600 years. As a matter of fact, Shem died only 10 years before Jacob, which was Abraham's grandson. So Abraham had no reason to believe when it says that his own body dead. It wasn't a physical death. So if it wasn't physical, then what was it? Well, it was a reproductive death. If we look back at, at the scriptures, for the most part, most people were having kids in the same time we do, 20s, 30s, 40s. It wasn't really late in life. It wasn't there at the end of their lives. And so from a logical standpoint, to Abraham, he's like, this isn't going to work. He was 99 years old. His wife, Sarah, was 89. As a matter of fact, when God tells him, Abraham looks at God and he goes, you know how old she is, don't you? And husbands, I will get of advice. Don't ever ask somebody if they realize how old your wife is. God knows. But he's like, you, you know she's, she's like really old. She's really beyond the time of reproduction. This isn't going to happen. You're promising me this now at this point? But Abraham didn't waver. Even though he was beyond it, he knew God had promised this to him. And so he stood on God's promise, even when it was illogical, even when it didn't make sense. You see, his faith wasn't in what was logical. His faith was in the promise of God, the hope that it brings. God said it would happen, and Abraham believed. Listen, the hardest part about your walk with God, wherever you are, whether you are a believer since you were two years old or you still haven't put your faith in Christ, the hardest part is not coming in here on Sunday morning. And I'm here to tell you, sometimes it's hard to come in here on Sunday morning. Sometimes it's hard to get up and go to church on Sunday. That's not the hardest part. Making time in your day to read God's Word, to read your Bible. Making time to pray. That's not the hardest part about your walk. It's not even walking in obedience. The hardest part in your walk with God is believing the truth of the gospel. Believing that God is offering you forgiveness for every wrong you have ever done simply by having faith. That's the hardest part. Because it's illogical. It doesn't make sense. We live in a world that tells us there has to be repercussions for everything we've done. There has to be a consequence. And let me tell you, we've all done some bad things. We're lying to ourselves if we say we haven't. We've all said stuff we wish we'd never said. Hateful, hurtful things. Mean-spirited things. Treated people poorly. And so why would God forgive us? As a matter of fact, we start thinking, you know what? I deserve everything I'm getting. I deserve for my family to be falling apart. I deserve to be sick. I deserve the, the being an alcoholic. I deserve going through divorce. Everything going on, I deserve it. 
and it becomes hopeless. Life begins to begin become hopeless. Well, if we stand in the promises of God, we have faith in His promises, then we can hope against hope. If God has promised to forgive us for all sins, past, present, and future, He's going to forgive us. We don't have to worry about whether there's something that won't be covered. And that gives us hope that even when we struggle, God's promises are true. And because we have that hope in God's promises, it causes us to become stronger. As a matter of fact, that's the second piece that we see. Paul talks about that faith brings us strength. Faith in God's promises brings us strength. Paul says there in verse 20, Yet with respect, respect to the promise of God, he, talking about Abraham, did not waver in unbelief. He's saying, man, Abraham stood strong in the belief of God. But that doesn't mean he didn't have doubts. That doesn't mean that Abraham didn't make mistakes. Abraham was human. He did struggle with fully trusting God at times. But he never wavered in his unbelief. As a matter of fact, very early on in Abraham's walk, we see times when he struggled. Uh, God calls him out, tells him to go into the promised land, to this land he's going to give him. And God says, I'm going to provide for you when you go. And then as soon as he goes into the land of Canaan, we see that there's a famine that hits. And Abraham, forgetting that God has said, I'm going to, I'm going to provide for you, flees to Egypt. He didn't trust God. God promised him he's going to provide for him. Then when he goes to Egypt, he lies, lies about who his wife, I mean, half lied. She was his half-sister. It was a different time. But he does it to be deceitful because he doesn't trust that God says, I'm going to protect you. But it's when we're at our weakest. It's when Abraham was at his weakest that God was the most faithful. It's when God strengthened Abraham like no other. Can you see, when Abraham left, when he left out of Egypt, the Pharaoh had given him servants, had given him cattle and other livestock, had provided all he needed going back into a land of famine. God had provided it, even through Abraham's mistake. That's what God does. When we're weak, when we're broken down, God uses those moments to strengthen us. It's kind of like working out. Started going back to the gym. Should have gone a lot sooner. But we go to the gym. I go with my son. And man, you, you, you've done it. We go and you work out. And you're lifting weights. And what happens is you lift weights. Is the, the further you go, the, the less you can do. You become weaker. Your body starts breaking down. The, the muscles literally start tearing. And you become weak. You can't lift the weight. You can't do it on your own. And so you rest. And in those times, your body naturally fills in those voids, your muscles become bigger, become denser, become stronger, and you can lift more. In that moment of weakness, you become stronger. But you have to trust in the process. Because it can be so easy in the pain to go, you know what, I'm just not doing this. It's not, it's not doing anything. I'm not lifting anymore. I'm not growing any. It hurts too much. It's just not working. And we'll tell us ourselves that while we look at those around us in the gym, that obviously it's working for them. 
It's because they're trusting in the process. Well, Paul is sharing here that Abraham grew in strength through God's promises because he trusted the process that even when he was weak, that God was going to fulfill all his promises to him. He grew in those moments of weakness. But that doesn't mean just because we have full faith and that we're growing stronger doesn't mean we're not going to wrestle with it and we're not going to struggle. Listen, by nature, we are doubters. We are skeptics. You can go get on any website and see a conspiracy theory everywhere. We, we, We are skeptics to everything going on in this world. Abraham was a skeptic. God promised him a son. God says, your your wife is going to have a child. We just talked about this. He laughed. It says he fell on the ground laughing at God. The word actually means a belly roll. And he's like, seriously, dude, she's old. She's really old. Her? But I'm here to tell you that when God named that son, and he named him, he said, you're going to name that son Isaac, which means laughter. When God named that son and then said, the covenant that I have given to you and I have promised you is going to go through him, we read that it says that immediately Abraham went and performed the circumcision, the sign of the covenant that God had just given him. Immediately he took all the men in his household and did it. He believed immediately. Even though he was a skeptic, God said it was going to happen. And Abraham immediately went out. He didn't waver in unbelief. He might have struggled at times, but he didn't waver in unbelief. God has made a promise to you. He's made a promise of redemption. He's made a promise of forgiveness. He's made a promise of eternal life. And we can have faith in this promise and grow stronger in this promise, not just because it's from God, but because it was fulfilled by God. You see, that promise comes through his son, Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. Through Christ, God has provided the means to mold us, the means to shape us into the image of Christ, the image we're supposed to be. And what God has started, I got news, he's not gonna let it go unfinished. Unlike me, who has a basement filled with half-finished projects that I will get to. You don't have to remind me every six months. I will get them done. We will have a shower again one of these days upstairs. God doesn't leave things unfinished. Matter of fact, we read in in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it. Until the day of Christ Jesus. Until the day God calls you home or Jesus returns, he's going to finish what he started. You can take that to the bank. God's a promise maker and a promise keeper. He's promised never to leave us. Promised never to forsake us. He's promised to forgive us. And so if we have that promise, man, when the world starts to fall apart around us, when it feels like everything is crumbling down, whatever it is, loss of a job, loss of a family member, going out on a tough call, whatever it is, we can have faith that God is right there. 
He's not left. He's still on the throne. He's still doing what he's going to do. And he's going to be glorified in the end, regardless of how tough it is. And that gives us strength to persevere and to keep pushing forward and to go through because we know that this trial, too, will end. One way or the other, it will end. And if your faith is in Christ, you win either way. However it ends, it's a win for us. And so Paul, as he's concluding this chapter, he brings it right back to what it was all about. What this whole piece was about, and that's that faith brings us redemption. He wants to conclude on what he began with because this is the key piece. This is the, the, the piece that, that is most important to all of us. You see, Paul reminds them there in verse 22 that faith brought righteousness. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. This idea that something was taken from one place and it was placed in another. God took the righteousness of Christ and through your faith, he places it on you and it's now yours. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. But it was credited to him. You see, and it was all done because of his believing God. Not anything else. Abraham left his home to go into a land he had no idea where he was going on nothing but the promises of God. He went solely believing that God said it's going to happen. And Abraham never saw those promises fulfilled. He never saw them fully fulfilled. But he never stopped believing that God fulfilled them. And he passed that belief on to his son, Isaac, his son passed it on to his son, Jacob. Jacob passed it on to the 12 tribes of Israel. As a matter of fact, we can see right before Jacob passes, when he is laying his hands on Joseph's son, he is passing that blessing on to them because he believes that what God has said is going to come true. Moses believed it, David believed it, and not one of them saw all the promises come to fruition. Moses made it all the way to the edge of the promised land, and he didn't go in. But his, their faith didn't waver. They believed God. And this can seem, reading through this, hearing all these patriarchs, that maybe this is just intended for the Jews. They can almost appear that way. I mean, he's a father of faith, but he's Jewish. Abraham is. All these other men that we just mentioned, they're, they're part of the, the pillars of the faith. And it can feel like it's just for the Jews. But man, Paul says that's not the case. You see, the Bible, this is God's inspired word. This is from him through selected men that he spoke into. God made sure they written in there multiple times was the phrase, it was also credited to him as righteousness. God wanted them to know that because he wanted you to know that. He wanted us to know. That's what Paul says in verse 23. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited. To us also. It wasn't just for the Jews. It was for the Gentiles too. It was for us. Listen, God is not biased. We've talked about this. He's not biased. We're all his creation. He sees us all the same. And so if God told Abraham, if he credited him because of his righteousness, God's going to credit to you because of your righteousness. 
or your faith. That's where he's going to come from. It's not by their works, not by the law, but by faith alone. If God wanted Abraham just to trust him, God wants you just to trust him. That's what he wants. He wants you to trust in the work that he's done. It isn't enough just to believe in God. Maybe you just believe in God. Yeah, I believe in God. I, I believe in a, a creator, something greater than me. It's not just enough to believe in God. It's not just enough to, to say, yeah, I believe Jesus was his son. You can't just believe in God. You have to believe God. And there's a difference. It's not just enough to believe in him. You've got to believe him. Do you believe that he will forgive you of every possible sin you ever have done or will do? Do you truly believe that? Or do you think, you know what? There's some things that are just so bad that God's not going to forgive them. Not even God can forgive them. Do you believe that? Because God says, I will forgive all of them. I will forgive them of their sins. Time and time again throughout the Old Testament, God says, I will forgive them of their sins. Do you believe it? Do you believe that he'll offer you that simply on your belief, on your faith? Because you can say, yeah, I believe God will forgive me, but I don't think it's that. I think i got to do something else with it. Do you truly believe God and what he says? So what do you got to believe? What is it that we have to believe? Well, Paul brings it right back to the gospel because that's what it's all about. He comes back into the gospel. He says it will be credited to us as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justifications. He brings it back to the gospel. He summarizes there he's the redemptive plan of God in that last verse. Probably the most simple way there is. Jesus Christ died for your sins. He died for your sins. And then he says, and then God raised him so you could be justified. That's God's redemptive plan. That easy. You just got to believe that. You can't separate the two. Don't try to take them apart. Because if he doesn't die, if Christ doesn't die for our sins, then, then no price has been paid. Nothing has been, been paid for, taken care of. There's, there's nothing been done. And if he doesn't raise from the dead, well, then his death had no redemptive powers. There was no redemption in it. Just another person died. You have to have both of them. You have to have them both. Listen, Paul has come back to Abraham. He's gone back to, to show them Abraham, show them his faith, show them justification for one simple purpose. Because Paul wants them to see, he wants us to see, the gospel is the fulfillment of every promise that God gave to Abraham. It is the fulfillment of every promise he gave to his sons. It's the promise that God has given to the world. It's the fulfillment of every one of them. I want to look at a couple of verses here. They just point this out. They just help us to see this. Beginning in Genesis 22, verse 18. God says to Abraham, In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice in your seed. 
and your offspring. Somewhere down the line, Jesus Christ's lineage goes back to the tribe of Judah. means it goes back through Jacob, through Isaac, and goes to Abraham. Christ is the answer. The one God promised Abraham would bless the entire world, and Abraham never met him. But Abraham believed God was going to answer that prayer. Believed he was going to fulfill that promise. Believed it was going to happen. In Genesis 28, God's talking to Jacob. This is Abraham's grandson. Becomes Israel, 12 tribes. And in 28, 14, God says to Abraham, Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God made the same promise to Abraham. Christians are the answer to this promise. Billions of followers of Christ, billions of people who put their faith in Jesus. What a mighty nation. But yet none of them ever got to meet us. They never got to see God fulfill that plan, but they all continued to have faith in him. See, they looked forward with anticipation of God fulfilling his promises. They looked forward with anticipation of God doing everything he said he was going to do, and their faith grew stronger. How much easier do we have it? Because we can look backwards and see all that God has done, the promises he has fulfilled through his son, Jesus Christ. We don't have to look forward with anticipation. We can see that he's done it. He has done it all. And if he can offer redemption to every one of us through his son, there's nothing God cannot forgive us for. There's nothing he can't do. Every promise that he has given to us is there. We've seen it. They believed it and didn't see it. They walked by faith and not by sight. We can look back and we can see it. And all we've got to do is continue to walk by faith. That's the good news of the gospel. That God created you on purpose and for a great purpose. And that was to have a right relationship with him. That's why we're here. Not here for any other reason, solely to have a relationship with God. But unfortunately, there's this thing in the world called sin. We're all sinners, every one of us. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. President's a sinner, Pope's a sinner, Mother Teresa, we're all sinners. Sin came in through Adam and Eve. It's progressed through every generation to every one of us now. Well, that separates us from God. God is perfect. He's holy. He cannot be in the presence of sin. And so God saw our greatest need. And that was for a Savior. And so at just the right moment in time, what they were anticipating and what we get to see, God sent down his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to be born of a virgin, to live a, a perfect, sinless life. The thing we couldn't do. Christ walked in obedience of all that God commanded him. And he went to the cross. Where he bore the wrath of God for your sins and for mine. He was nailed to that cross. He died. He was buried. Sinless. And he arose the third day. Proving that he was God. Proving that he could overcome. That he could pay the price for our justification. Bible tells us that if you profess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you too can be saved. It's that easy. This isn't tough. 
only thing standing in the way is you. It's me. God's done all the work. He is faithful to every promise. There's not one promise God has made that has not come to pass. And they're all going to come to pass. And we know one day soon this world will end. Christ will return. He will remove all the hurt, all the pain. He will dry every tear. He will bring in the new Jerusalem. Those who are his, who have put their faith in him, have eternal life with the Father. Those who don't. The Bible tells us eternal separation, and that truly is hell. Separation from the Father. It's too late when we leave. You have to make that choice today. And it's yours. God loves you so much. He's going to give you what you want. Do you want him or do you want separation? You can't have both. Doesn't mean you've got to change something today. Doesn't mean you have to become some perfect saint. Far from it. God loves you just the way you are. So much so that, that he won't leave you that way. He will sculpt you in the image of his son. But you've got to first take that step of faith. Truly believe what God says. Not just believe in him. If you have any questions, uh, if, you, if you just need somebody to pray with, whatever, I'll be up here. After we pray, we'll sing a hymn. I'd love for you to just come up and visit. Don't be shy. Uh, come on up here and, and, and see us. And, uh, and don't let another day go by separated from the love of the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I stand in awe of your grace and mercy. As I look at a world filled with brokenness and with hurt, a world struggling with pain and sorrow, as we see families that are on the verge of collapse, those who don't have enough to eat, a place to sleep. Lord, I'm reminded this isn't what you intended. This is a result of our, our choice of sin. And Lord, I know it's something beyond any of our control. It's just part of who we are. But Lord, I'm thankful that you have brought the redemptive plan through Christ. That Lord Jesus, you were alone were worthy to pay the price. And through the shedding of your blood, you washed away all the sin. Those who put their faith in you says that we will be white as snow, that you will cast our sins as far as east from the west. And so I thank you for that, Lord Jesus. I thank you for your work. Lord, I pray for those listening online, those who are here who maybe have been wrestling with this idea that, man, I can be forgiven. I've done, done so much wrong. Lord, give them peace today. Let them know that the work is done. There's no striving they have to do. There's nothing they can do to earn your love. For your son has already done the work. Give them a peace and comfort knowing that they can be forgiven. No longer do they have to bear that weight of whatever it is. That they can hand it over to you. And that you will lift it from them. Offer them redemption, a relationship. Those of us who have put our faith in you, Lord, let us not forget the price that has been paid. Let us remember the blood that was poured out and the urgency there is for us to go forward and to share that with others. Here in our own communities, 
our neighbors, our family, those that we encounter in all across this world, Lord. We know that you will return. And so we pray for those who have not come to know your love, that we can help to share that with them. So Lord, be with us today. Fill us with your presence. Let us bask in the love that you have poured out for each one of us. We lift this day up to you, Lord. It is yours. And we thank you. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.